Well, friends, good morning. My name is James Forsyth, the senior pastor of our church family, and it is great to be able to celebrate Easter together. Glad that you've set this time aside. Glad that you're joining us for worship. And we hope and pray that the the song we have just sung will be a reality in your heart, that your heart will indeed, your soul will indeed be still because of the peace that we enjoy in our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. So this week, um, I was thinking about the Lego movie. Uh, kids, have you seen the Lego movie? Do you remember the jingle that goes along, goes along with it? Everything is awesome. You hear that like again and again and again and again in the movie. Everything is awesome. Well, I was thinking about that because I, I saw a YouTube video this week that had replaced the word awesome with the word canceled. Um, everything is cancelled, right? And isn't that kind of how it feels just now, that everything is, is cancelled? Um, kids, you're not in school. Part of that might be good, but you're probably also missing your friends, missing being a part of, of sports, missing some, some field trips or, or play dates. Students, I'm sure you're missing being with your friends as well, Uh, missing uh, maybe a senior trip or or a prom or a a graduation. Uh, All of us are missing out on things as our our offices are closed and our gyms are closed and our our restaurants are are closed. It seems like everything is closed, everything is cancelled. And then, you know, the march we finally all get to stay home. They go ahead and they cancel March Madness. Like, what, what is that? What is that about? And then canceled, like, the Olympics and, and Wimbledon and, and NASCAR, but, like, whatever, you know? Um, and it's not just sports, right? So many other things in our culture, from Broadway shows to, to musicals to art galleries and museums to conferences and conventions, on and on we could go. It seems like everything is, is canceled, and yet... Easter comes to tell us that not quite everything is cancelled. In fact, the most important things are very much alive. That's what we're here to celebrate today, and we're going to celebrate it together in God's Word. I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to read Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 44. Through to verse 12 of Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read the narrative picking up with the death of Jesus, those events that we remembered on, on Good Friday, and then taking us into the resurrection of Jesus, what we celebrate here today. Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 44. Let's, um, let's give attention to God's word. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, when the, while the sunlight, sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the woman who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. 
This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone, where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The woman who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, "'Why do you seek the living among the dead?' He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our great God and heavenly Father, We come to you now asking that you would be our teacher in these moments and that you would teach not just our minds, but also our hearts and our souls, that we might have the gift of faith to believe in the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. In these moments, Lord, teach us more about this amazing love and its implications for our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke's gospel, then, the Easter story is presented as a journey from darkness into light. A journey from darkness into light. Look at that with me as we join our text, verse 44 of chapter 23. Look down at a Bible with me. It's Friday and it's dark. It was now about the sixth hour, we read, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. Now, the major events leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus, all of these events take place at at night. Jesus is betrayed at night. He is tried at night. He is denied and arrested in the darkness. And then comes the cross itself, only now it shouldn't be dark. Only now it should be light. Why, Why shouldn't it be dark? Well, look at verse 44 where we read that it was the sixth hour. This means that it's, it's the middle of the day. It's, it's 12 p.m. It's lunchtime. It's noon in Jerusalem. It should be warm. It should be bright. It should be sunny. But instead, look at verse 45. The sun's light failed. Jesus has been on the cross for three hours, and now darkness blankets the earth as he hangs there three hours more. The midday sun goes black. Can you imagine 
what it must have been like to, to have been there. When in the middle of the day, it suddenly went dark. Do you remember, kids, the last time you were in a power outage, or, or all of us, remember the last time you were, you were in, in a power outage? You've heard that the storm is coming. You've heard it now brewing. You see the lights give that ominous flicker, and then suddenly everything goes pitch black. You scurry to find uh, flashlights. You scurry to find uh, matches for those, for those, for those candles. Um, I remember as a, a child the feeling you had of being kind of nervous, uncertain, unsure in the darkness. Darkness has that impact on us. Or uh, last summer, my family and I, we drove out to, to Luray Caverns, a couple hours uh, west of here. It's this amazing network of caves. You, you wind your way down from the surface deep into the, the heart of the earth as, as it feels. And as you do so, you, you go through this uh, amazing, you see all the, like, the stalactites and the stalagmites, and you argue with your family over which one's which, and you um, kind of pass through these like, cathedral-sized caves, some of which are, are 10 stories high. But then comes what's, in many ways, the most memorable part of the journey. Deep in the, in the heart of, of this cave, with absolutely no natural light to be found, they turn the lights off. And it's an amazing experience when they do. Um, it's, it's a darkness so thick you can, you can feel it. Literally a darkness where you can't even see your hand in front of your face. Strangely, and I don't know why, but you hold your breath. It feels unnerving it feels isolating. In the darkness, you feel vulnerable. And surely those who experienced the darkness of the cross would have felt the same way. In the middle of the day and the lights go out, imagine the hush that would descend on nearby markets. Imagine wide-eyed children running, looking for their, their parents. Imagine men putting down tools and women lighting candles all over Jerusalem. No moon, no sun, no stars, no streetlights. Darkness you can feel, a darkness you can touch. And all the while, Jesus hangs there. Hanging there in the dark. Now, what's the explanation of this? How do we make sense of darkness in the middle of the day? Well, according to the Bible, um, there's no natural explanation. This wasn't a solar eclipse or some sort of, you know, sandstorm that obscured the sun, according to the Bible, the explanation is, is supernatural. Why? Because in the Bible, darkness represents the judgment of God. Let me say that again. In the Bible, darkness represents the judgment of God. Let me give you a couple of, of examples. First of all, an Old Testament example. Here's the prophet Isaiah saying, "'Behold, the day of the Lord comes.'" cruel and with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. Warning of the judgment of God coming upon those who have turned their back on him. Now listen to verse 10 of Isaiah 13. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. Darkness in the Old Testament is a symbol of God's judgment. And not just the Old Testament, in the, in the New Testament as well. You can look at Matthew 8 verse 12 where Jesus is, is teaching on the, the challenging but necessary dangers of hell. 
And remember how he describes hell as a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth, as a place of what? Outer darkness. In the Bible, when darkness falls, we know that God is acting in judgment. And that's exactly what's happening to Jesus on the cross. The darkness descends because God is acting in judgment. This is what makes sense of the cross for us. Jesus, who has already endured all the the pains and griefs and miseries of life, now endures the judgment of God. The punishment of God that is due to us for our sins falls upon him. That's why the darkness has descended. God is acting out judgment upon his own son. This is why darkness consumes him. And it's why in Luke's gospel, the story of Easter begins in the dark. The story of Easter begins in the dark. And yet, somehow, the story isn't over. And it really should be, right? The story really should be over by the time we get to the end of chapter 23. Jesus is literally dead and buried. That's the end of all stories. That's the phrase that we use to say that the story has ended. Oh, it's dead and buried. You know, like, that, that means there, there is no more to come. And yet somehow at Easter, there is more to come. Because after the darkness of the cross, new light comes. We experience the light of dawn. Easter is a journey from darkness to light. Look at verse 1 of chapter 24. Imagine it with me. On the first day of the week, at early dawn. At early dawn, the sun has risen, a new day has come, and we read verse 1 that three women are on their way to the tomb. But when they get there, look at verse 2, they found the stone rolled away. Looking inside, verse 3, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And understandably, verse 4, they are perplexed about this. Dead bodies don't move. Indeed, dead bodies don't move. They're scratching their heads when, look at verse 4, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. The story takes a turn as two angels appear to them, two angels who've been sent from God. Now, the thing that I really love about what happens next is the, the dialogue between the woman and the angels. I love how everybody is confused, right? So the women are confused. They've, we've already read in verse 4 that they're perplexed. Now we read verse 5 that they are, they are frightened. Nothing's making sense. Stones don't just roll away. Dead bodies don't just disappear. Angels don't just suddenly appear. We understand why they are confused, but don't you love how the and the angels are also confused. The angels are confused by the woman's confusion. Look at what they say, verse 5. Um, why, do you, why do you seek the living among the dead? Like, what are you guys doing here? I, we're confused as to why you are here. Uh, verse 6, Jesus is not here. He is risen. Like, Jesus left already. Verse 6, still, remember how he told you? Like, do you not remember that Jesus said this was going to happen? Verse 7, remember how he said the Son of Man would have to be betrayed, that we'd have to die, but that he would then on the third day rise. Like, the resur- like this was the plan all along. Jesus isn't here because Jesus is alive. The angels are reminding us of something that not only the women, but we ourselves so quickly forget. Jesus brought light 
everywhere he went. Jesus brought light everywhere he went. You know this is true in creation. John chapter 1 tells us that all things were made through Christ. So back in Genesis 1, when there was nothing but darkness over the deep, God through Jesus spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus is the one who made the light. And then the prophets spoke of Jesus as the one who would be a great light, who would shine into our darkness. At Christ's birth, remember how the darkness of that Bethlehem sky was shattered as the glory of the Lord shone upon creation? In his life, here's some verses. Jesus is described as the life that will be the light of men, John 1 verse 4. The true light which gives light to everyone, John 1 verse 9. The very light of the world, John 8 verse 12. Jesus brought light everywhere he went, and the tomb was no different. The darkness of the tomb was not enough to extinguish the light of the world. The light shone into the darkness, but the darkness could not overcome it. Acts tells us, Acts 2, it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 1 verse 10, Jesus abolished death, bringing life and immortality to light through the gospel. Simply put, Jesus rose again. The story of Easter is presented as a journey from darkness into light. From death into life, from crucifixion into resurrection, and therefore from lamentation into celebration. This is how the story of Easter ends. Now, friends, there's a sense in which this pattern, this pattern of Easter, darkness to light, is um, it's a helpful pattern for where we find ourselves right now. It'd be fair to say that our world finds ourselves in this in this global pandemic, in, in something of a, of a Friday. And so we are, we are a people who, who grieve. We grieve the loss of life. We grieve the loss of opportunities, the loss of jobs, the loss of experiences. We grieve and we call out, we cry out, we ask God to come and do something about it. Lord, this is not how things are meant to be. And yet, even at this moment, as we grieve, we grieve with hope. Believing the darkness will give way to light. Believing we will get through this. Believing that Jesus will be faithful to us still. So this, this pattern of Easter, darkness to light, is in a sense helpful to us right now. But friends, listen, if we can find our reflections to this earthly perspective, seeing it only as a pattern to enable us to, to make it through, we'd be missing out on the primary message of Easter which is that Easter brings not just an earthly perspective, but an eternal hope. Easter brings an eternal hope. Perhaps this is best illustrated in a story. Hugh Welchel is um, one of our elders here at the church. And honestly, uh, don't tell the other elders, but he's one of my favorite elders, right? Um, he was uh, one, of the, one of the elders that actually interviewed me when I came up uh, as a fresh-faced 25-year-old to, to interview here at the church. And in the 13 years since, he's just been a, a great encouragement to my heart and, and to my soul. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Hugh, our, our friend, our brother, was um, diagnosed with ALS, diagnosed with 
Lou Gehrig's disease, degenerative, cruel, inexorable, grim disease, for which there is very little treatment and absolutely no cure. Average life expectancy, once you've been diagnosed with ALS, is normally somewhere between two and, and five years. It's just devastating news to, to come into our church family. Well, Hugh, he wrote a blog about it. You ready for the title? Oh, come on. Why Easter matters to me more than ever before. That's right, Hugh. What a great title. Why Easter matters to me more than ever before. Here's a quote. I believe that God is working out his master plan to restore the whole of creation in all things working for the good of those who love him. Not trite Christianese, the reflections of a man who's received this diagnosis. At the epicenter of this plan, working out good for all those who love him, at the epicenter of this plan is the event we will celebrate on Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the most significant event in history. Without the resurrection, nothing else matters. Paul describes the resurrection as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Based on this historical fact, it is the believer's great hope that we too will be raised from the dead when Christ returns. Based on this historical fact, the tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. He is risen, just as he said. It is the believer's great hope that we too will be raised from the dead when Christ returns. Friends, listen, ALS means Hugh has no earthly hope. Yet he's not hopeless. It's it's, it's like Jesus Christ. ALS should be the end of the story. And yet for Hugh... There's going to be more. There's going to be more. Because Easter is a journey from darkness into light. Jesus has defeated the grave and conquered death, so Hugh is now destined for everlasting life. And in this blog post, we've linked to it on our website, uh, Hugh describes how this hope changes his life today, gives him a sense of purpose that his life is is not a waste, gives him courage to, to finish well and run this race. And here's the thing, the hope that burns within Hugh belongs to every believer. The hope of the resurrection belongs to every believer. Jesus, Jesus put it this way. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. So whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. I am the resurrection and the life. I have defeated the grave. I have conquered death. And now whoever believes in me will live even though though they die. If you believe in me, Jesus says that your earthly death is just the gateway to eternal life. And then do you remember how Jesus ends that verse? He just says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Friends, if this Easter, if you don't believe this, you must. Because the Bible tells us that there is no hope outside of Christ. Our culture and our world has been 
confronted with death in a way that it hasn't been before in, in my lifetime. And we're being confronted with this reality that, that, that physical death will come to us all. But the Bible says, outside of Christ, it's not just death in this life, but death in the life to come. That place of, of outer darkness. And so if you haven't received Jesus as your Savior, if you haven't, whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. If you haven't believed in him, today is the day to believe in him. Today is the day to accept the promises of, of the resurrection. That God loves you. That he's crazy about you. That he cares about you enough to send his own son to die. But not only did his son die, his son rose again so that all of our fears, all of our enemies, even death itself might be defeated. He's taken the punishment we were due and calls us to come to him to receive life. Whoever believes will live even though he dies. Believe in this Jesus today. If you haven't believed before, you must. And if you do believe, then today um, we rejoice. <laughs> Why? Because when it seems like everything is canceled, hope is not canceled. Hope is not canceled. After the darkness comes light. After death comes life. And so we believe that in the resurrection, we have a secure eternity and the purpose and the courage to run the race well today. Because he is risen, because he is risen indeed. We celebrate and we rejoice. This year for us, hope is not canceled. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this time together in your word. A time that confronts us with reality. The reality is, Lord, that we ourselves will die. And as surely as we will die physically outside of Christ, we will die spiritually as well. There is dark news in the scriptures. And yet, Lord, that's not where the story ends. Because Easter is a journey from darkness into light. After death comes life. So, Lord, would you give us the faith to believe? For those who haven't believed before today, would you grant them this grace? And for those of us who do, Lord, would we give you great, great praise that because of the resurrection, our hope is not canceled. We lift all of these things up in the name of Jesus, who right now is alive and who right now, wherever we are, is with us. Amen.